Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. So welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for The Curriculum Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Pudner. And today we're going to be talking about art and I'm really excited because I'm joined by Art John, that's his YouTube channel name, and he is an artist, an educator with over 15 years experience working as an artist in primary schools, museums, galleries and heritage sites across the UK. And his art channel on YouTube has got over 8,000 subscribers. It is a wonderful resource of videos for helping teachers and parents and children to develop as artists. And it's really inspirational. And we're also extremely excited that John has been collaborating with us at Cornerstones to create some exclusive video content for our curriculum. So a big warm, dare I say hot welcome because it's absolutely sweltering to John. Hi John, thanks for joining me. Hi Caroline, great to see you. Thank you for having me on. That's all right. So would you be able to elaborate a little bit about you and your work? So I've given a brief introduction, but so our listeners know maybe your journey to what you do now and a bit about your work as well. So uh, first of all, I should mention that my name isn't actually Art John, which I'm sure most of your listeners would have worked out by now. Uh, my name is John Mason and I'm an artist and an educator. And the, uh, the name Art John came about from when I was an artist in residence for 12 and a half years full time in a primary school in East London. And it so happened that there were two Johns in this school. There was me and then there was a music teacher called John. And whenever anyone was looking for us, they would say, have you seen John? And then they would say, which one, Art John or Music John? Before long, I became known as Art John. The pupils called me Art John. The teachers called me Art John. My wife now calls me Art John. I have Christmas cards addressed to me, to Art John. Uh, and so it's kind of become a brand name and a nickname. And it's kind of the name that most people call me, which is wonderful. I even get emails and letters sent to me to Art, because a lot of people think that Art is my first name. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I work in primary schools, secondary schools. Uh, I work in galleries, museums. Uh, I'm very fortunate to kind of work in a wide variety of places, castles, palaces, everywhere really uh, and then I also have a YouTube channel where I kind of want to support teachers and parents in developing them as artists. Brilliant I mean how did you decide to become a YouTuber what um, what kind of drove you to want to produce content for YouTube? Well it came about because pupils at the school in East London kind of the ones trying to convince me to have a YouTube channel and at the time which was sort of the early 2000s mid 2000s really YouTube didn't feel like it feels now it was much more about short form kind of funny videos you know that one where a baby bites his brother's finger and all that kind of stuff so it didn't seem like the place where you could have art tutorials and that was completely my ignorance and and as soon as I started researching YouTube I realized that it was this incredible space where you could share content to everybody and if people wanted to see that content then they watched it and there was no barriers to having an audience. And sort of I realized that YouTube was such an incredible uh, way of working creatively and being able to reach out and find people who perhaps wouldn't necessarily find you otherwise. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of think of it as a place where I can kind of make what I want to make based on my knowledge of what people might need or might want. 
And if people like the content, then great. And if they don't, then I'll make another video. And maybe they'll like that one. Um, and so, yeah, YouTube is a wonderful creative space um, that's so new. Uh, we forget how new it is to be able to have videos like this at our yeah. disposal. And it, I think it's at the forefront of creativity. I think that if this is the, if this, if YouTube was around 100 years ago, the famous artists that we hear of would be on YouTube, you know. And so it's, uh, it's an exciting space. Yeah, and I've, obviously I know your channel. You, you create really easy to follow um, tutorials, but with a nice outcome, you know, for, for children and for anyone really to, to follow. Have you got a kind of mission with it or have you got an, in, an intention to create things that are accessible for people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's amazing about YouTube and it's not often talked about is the fact that there are no gatekeepers and in every walk of life, in every industry, whether that's creative industries or whatever industry you're in, you know, there's always someone who has the door, be let in or not, depending on who you meet or your experience. But in you, on YouTube, there are no gatekeepers. You can just upload things. And if it works, it works. And so I sort of think that's why it's so wonderful, because you can create the content that perhaps might not get created because it might not seem relevant or it might not seem big enough but actually there is an audience there uh, and mm. one of the things about YouTube that people forget is that we think of it as a YouTube channel as in a TV channel but the reality is YouTube is a search engine and it's owned by Google and people are looking for things solutions to problems and so um, if you have the answer people will watch your video and you kind of build an audience and so what I realized was there are loads of things that teachers and parents want to be able to ask or want to be able to do with young people, but not necessarily uh, that easy to find those answers, except on YouTube when there's loads and loads of different people making lots of different types of artwork that is accessible and, and interesting and answers those questions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's I, I can see that from looking at your videos that they're beautifully shot and you can see exactly what to do. And I think as a parent or a teacher, if you're not sure about art or you like you say, you're looking for ideas, and you want to learn a technique that then you can teach your child or have a go. You need a nice, clear video, clear instructions. Um, and your videos make me feel like going and doing it. And I think mm. that's Kind of oh, that's great element. Yeah, I mean, think, I think that's really important that it's it's accessible. Something I notice as well is is you really promote the idea of experimenting and mm. uh, making mistakes and thinking about the issue that we've had. I think at, at primary school as a mm. primary teacher of um, that that barrier, those worries about teaching art to children. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'll ask you later about why you think art is important in primary curriculum, but I wonder if I can ask you first, having worked with lots of teachers in the schools in London and, and elsewhere, what are the common barriers for teaching art? I mean, that is a huge question and there's loads that I could talk about in there. So, um, you know, buckle up because I'm going to talk for a while now about that because <laughs> uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. I think there are so many things that act as barriers. And that's one of the things why YouTube is interesting, just to go back to YouTube quickly, is that within YouTube, your audience, what you people think that you want to create a YouTube video for millions of people. And if you do that, you don't get any views because people can't find you because there's too many options on YouTube. And one of the things you have to do is niche down and, mm. and find a niche, a very specific niche. And so my niche is teachers and parents. 
uh, more so than children actually. My, my channel is primarily is designed for teachers and parents because thinking about my mission or thinking about what the reason why I want to do it is because I know that if I get the teacher or the parent, then I get the young people as well. And that if I can get one teacher, that's a class of 30 young people who might be inspired. Yeah, and train the trainer in a way. Yeah, it's train, train. And it, but it's also, I want that teacher to feel empowered. And actually I want that teacher to be the star, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like um, I want to give them everything they need to become the star of their classroom. And so, um, so I have to go quite niche and so often my videos might answer one very small problem and there might be loads of people who have that problem that need answering. And so, so I think with my YouTube channel, I can sort of target and pinpoint lots of the barriers that stop art lessons from happening or might stop teacher confidence or might be the thing that kind of hinders uh, an art activity or, or, or curriculum. Um, but some of the things that I think that really act as barriers to, to creativity in schools is timetabling and sort of the mythology of art lessons time, time in art lessons, if that makes sense. So one of the things is that we're used to blocks of time and we think of art as being this, I suppose the overall thing I think is the mythology around art is the barrier. Okay, so we think of uh, the an art activity as being like the artist taking years kind of painting their picture and taking an awful amount of time to create a perfect masterpiece when reality is like most of the things I make in my studio are like 15 minute experiments I might kind of try something out for a few minutes and it might work it might not work and I move on to the next thing and so timetabling for art in schools is a big barrier because people think of it as in 45 minute or hour blocks or maybe half day workshops and the reality is, you know, your art lesson can be 10 minutes long. You know, your art activity can be a quick um, starter activity for a maths lesson. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be this kind of rigid, this is an art lesson period of time. Um, and, and with that, I think that it doesn't have to be a perfect masterpiece. You, know, you don't have to have art lessons that produce a, an outcome that's like predetermined or amazing. And that's where I think the one thing that changes that is if you have art regularly um, and that if you say we're going to commit to having art all the time in our school, then 15 minute art lessons work really well or kind of, OK, we've got an afternoon, we can do that. But next week we've got a tighter timetable. So we'll have 20 minutes of art. As long as art is happening constantly, then there's growth and everyone's getting better and everyone's experimenting. And so I sometimes feel like the confidence thing of getting things wrong or things having to be perfect is the thing that hinders. And I know this because I'm a perfectionist. Um, but I, I would say that trying little experimental art sessions help build up confidence because there's no kind of big uh, consequence to worry about. Um, so timetabling is a big problem. Teacher confidence is another big problem um because uh it's often something that's not taught or if, if you're not uh, particularly um uh well versed in delivering art lessons they can be very scary um, but they don't need to be because you're on the journey with the young people and if you kind of make that the thing if you say to your young people look i'm going to try something new too then they're not going to judge you because you're on the same journey as them yeah i think teacher confidence matched with pupil confidence and actually if I'm honest, going into schools, the biggest barrier I have is pupils and young people saying I can't do it or my drawing's not good enough. 
or uh, I'm not good at drawing, or there's always someone in the class who's the drawer. There's always someone who's the artist and everyone's like, oh, that person's the artist and we're not. And I sort of think, no, everyone can make something. It's, you know, we need to kind of move away from the historical idea of genius artists and innate talent and realize art is just making things and it's a process. And if you follow a process, great things happen. So I think pupil confidence, number one, teacher confidence, timetables is a barrier, are a barrier. Um, materials, uh, often um, uh, not having the right materials or materials that have been sat in the art cupboard for years. And so in my YouTube channel, I try to use really cheap everyday materials, the things that I know are knocking around a school or that you can find from the supermarket across the road and during your lunch break. Um, so yeah, simple, easy to access materials is something I'm really a big fan of. Um, so yeah, I think those are some of the barriers that I sort of want to address. It's interesting you're saying about pupil confidence because yeah, it's it's how, how to overcome that and how to encourage children and maybe doing it more regularly in the curriculum and making it a little bit more, um, say low stakes, it's more experimental, it's more practice-based rather than outcome-based all the time. Yeah. There's some really tips. There are very few artists, sorry to interrupt you there, but there are very few artists who think of outcomes, very few. They're nearly always process led because I sort of think of the creation of art as a bit like telling a one line joke. So one liners are really funny the first time you hear them. And then if someone tells you that same joke again, it's like it's dead, isn't it? There's no there's no life to that joke. And sometimes I think you see that in artwork where someone has created a perfect outcome picture and you see it, you go oh that's amazing but actually there's not that much depth to it and actually you see it once and great and then you move on whereas I'm really into the art and you know think of my favorite artists I'm really in, into art that kind of is a, a journey with that artist where you are always asking questions and there's something burning away in the brain like what does it mean or why do I like that piece of artwork and so I'm always looking for process over outcome because it's it's an access point it's the way people access things if they just follow a process and not worry about what the outcome is you know the truth is like we have the entirety of the weight of art history that's weighing down on us and we're all susceptible to it and so we have this idea that like um of the genius artist or that there are certain people who are artists and they will they were born to be artists and they are geniuses. And that's that's because of a very heavily weighted art history, you know, where we hero worship, you know, great artists like Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci and Picasso and all that kind of stuff. And we sort of say, that's what great art is. And then when we try and apply it to ourselves, we sort of think, well, we'll never be as good as that. And, and there is a reason why we won't be as good as Michelangelo. And the reason is because Michelangelo had loads of assistants helping him make his artwork that don't get talked about. Mm. He didn't paint the Sistine Chapel by himself, right? But also, the sort of in the past, if you were designated an artist, you would work for 14, 15 hour days, <laughs> practicing as an apprentice, doing nothing else but art. And uh, we can't do that now because of laws, because that is child labor. And so if we wanted to create a Michelangelo now, that would be seen as abuse. <laughs> and so we kind of, and that's, so we shouldn't be thinking about this idea of great artists or perfect artwork. We should be thinking about what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What, what are the, what, you know, what kind of things might happen? 
And what artists often do is they make first and then they look at what they've done and they think about what does it mean or what is interesting about it. Mm. Uh, and we're constantly trying to create things that are simple. Uh, and so we kind of go, oh, I did that. Do I like it? Do I not like it? What could be next? Yeah. We're all on a journey. And I think that should be the same for schools in their art lessons. It should never be like, we wanted to make this, so we made it because there's no creativity within that. What we should is like, we're inspired by this, we're playing with this technique, let's see where it goes. Yeah. Um, and, and also I think that really helps us finding a broader curriculum is that if we stick to like, um, it's one of the things that I sort of always encourage schools to do is to not necessarily base their art curriculum directly on artists, because then you go into art history where it's the same sort of bunch of artists all the time. And they're amazing artists and they should be in art history, but there's lots of other great artists as well. And I always think if you follow a process, um, then you get access to a whole range of artists uh, who are sort of much broader in their, in their process, much broader in their artwork. So for an example, if I take this piece of paper, okay, so one of the things I'm a big fan of is verb lists. I'm sure your listeners can't actually uh, see that I'm holding a piece of paper up. But we know what piece of paper is. It's flat and it's uh, flimsy and it's um, delicate. But actually, if we apply a verb to a material, so for instance, if we were to apply the word fold to a piece of paper, if you fold a piece of paper, just like a Christmas card or a birthday card, it will stand up. And so suddenly you've got a sculpture, right? Or if you were to twist a piece of paper, then it adds strength to it. So then you've got kind of more tension or you can cut a piece of paper. You can apply all these verbs and then you see what happens. And then what, because we've got Google, the world's greatest of uh, library of ideas and history, is that you can then type, with, type in artists who fold paper. And then you're going to find artists from all across the world, some who are in the past, some are still alive and making, men, women, artists with disabilities. You'll get such a broad range of artists that you can reference because you've used the process rather than as the your way in. Yeah. As your way in. So, for instance, if you've got some clay, you know, artists who throw clay, you're going to find loads of different results. Uh, artists who squeeze clay, you're going to get loads of different results. You know, it's you just need to think about the materials and then a verb and then you have access to all of art. That's fantastic. And it's then putting the emphasis on teaching children a technique and you can get more intricate with what you're doing to that material. Um, and that's what I like about your videos as well. And the ones you've done for us on colour is, is it's equipping children with the basic skills, which is really important in curriculum design, mm. is that it, yes, it's not just outcomes based, but you actually have to teach children those small component skills of art over time. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about that low confidence of children. Yeah. The children I met who had very little confidence in art hadn't got the techniques, you know, they yeah. hadn't learned the skills or the techniques. They'd always been thinking about what my finished picture is going to look like but they may not hold a pencil properly or, or Absolutely. how to do shading. So do you think that as well then, John, as well as um, that approach of getting them into the process, it's sort of spacing out regular practice of those key skills in art? Yeah, regular practice is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, also for assessment. So I often get schools that ask me about how you assess for art and you assess for art by making art. 
And so often like some, some schools will timetable in because of different circumstances. And by the way, if you're a school that does, or a teacher or a head teacher who does any art whatsoever, then great, because there's loads of schools that don't, all right? So there's nothing I'll ever do will be a criticism of schools that trying art. Um, but often sometimes schools will have like an arts week or an art day or mm. a period of time. And that makes assessment much harder because can you imagine if we applied that to English? So we try to assess a child on their English levels um, from one art lesson, uh, from one English lesson. You know, we, you wouldn't be able to do that. And so I think regularity is key but also not worrying about whether that's an hour or 45 minutes, as long as something they're doing that day is kind of pushing those skills. And that's the thing about cross-curricular stuff is that like your art lesson can be a maths lesson. Your art lesson can also be a literacy lesson or a geography lesson or a science lesson. You don't have to make it completely isolated as a standalone subject. It can completely be incorporated. Um, and so like one of my most popular YouTube uh, videos, I, I can't remember, it's on, I think it's on like 80,000 views or something like that, is, is an art lesson, but really it's a maths lesson and it's about how to use X and Y axes to create endless patterns. Mm. And it, it, that's about, really, that is about building the skills of how to use a ruler to create straight lines. Because I, I operate in a really interesting thing in schools in the sense that I'm not a qualified teacher in the traditional sense, but I've been working in schools for so long that I understand the problems that teachers face and I'm mm. completely sympathetic to it. And so I, I absolutely adore teachers. I think teachers are amazing. So I just want to empower them all the time. And so, you know, one of the things I know that teachers struggle is, is in maths lesson, if they're having to draw a straight line and pupils can't draw a straight line with their ruler. And it's because they've not had practice using their ruler. You know, we've all seen it where you get the seesaw where someone starts at one of the ruler and then by the time they've got to the other end, the seesaw's tipped and you've got this kind of scratch yeah. of the line. Uh, and, that's, and so art lessons are where you practice things and that helps support other lessons. And so it's not an isolated thing. Your art lessons and math lessons can all be combined. Do you think but as well, like, John, because that's, sorry to interrupt, but that's the really interesting um, blog uh, recently and a lot of people have been talking about primary level children and the importance of us understanding and appreciating child, child development and what you're talking about there about the dexterity using a ruler uh, it's expecting a lot of children if they haven't got those those skills mm. in, and they develop right from early years so yeah any I can see how subjects like art which isn't just practical I know but that's where your interconnections across the curriculum can really help, yeah. say, really help each other. I mean, things like using scissors, using mm. rulers. I mean, one of the biggest things that I find is when I, because I do a lot of uh, CPD for schools and um, it's often the kind of flippant things that I sort of mention or these throwaway activities that are kind of, as an artist, I sort of think, oh, that's very obvious. And then I sometimes have to realize that to other people, it's not that obvious. Yeah. But one of the classic things is, is getting teachers to get their pupils to hold pencils differently. And so one of the things is that we, we teach children how to use pencils to write letters and numbers. Uh, and so they hold, I think it's called the tri-grip where you hold the pencil right at the very end. And that's brilliant because it teaches young people how to make very small, precise shapes, which is what you need for letters and numbers. But of course, then we want them to draw a big piece of paper, a big picture. And 
every teacher will know this experience where they give a massive piece of paper and they say draw a really big <laughs> drawing and then you get a tiny drawing in the middle yeah and that's because those pupils are using the tri-grip to make small precise shapes mm-hmm. and actually the simplest thing you do is you teach the young person to hold their pencil halfway up and lo and behold you'll get bigger shapes and more expressive drawing and they won't be pushing down as hard because they've just changed the way they hold a pencil. Now that's a really flippant small thing, but it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And so that's where YouTube is really great is because I can make a video about that and that can be just about what the video is about, how to hold a pencil. And so it kind of, it's taking those problems and really breaking them down and becoming a resource. And so like with, for instance, the videos I've done for, for Cornerstone, like, you know, breaking down color theory. You know, I'm an artist and I struggle with the words that are used around color, you know, tone and hue and tint and shade. There's so much kind of stuff, but actually the reality is when you come to use color, those things become very simple and easy to use. You just need to see the process. And so that's what I wanted to do with the videos is make it, I want to make them entertaining with my YouTube videos. I also want to take, difficult things and make them easy. Demystify. Demystify, absolutely, it's a great way of describing it. But I also wanna take really simple things and show that they're valuable, you know, and the things that we might not pay a lot of attention to are often, uh, you know, the most exciting processes. So it could be like, I often talk about the power of three uh, lines, you know, so if you wanna add movement to drawing, you can just do three dashes. Yeah, and three lines can completely change the way a drawing feels um but it's just three lines you know and so it's trying to take those sort of empower the small things because if you have lots and lots and lots of small great little tips you end up with a really accomplished artist I suppose yeah absolutely it's exactly what we believe as well it's breaking it down and you're empowering um the teachers and parents who are watching who then obviously pass that on to children absolutely you're absolutely right and and that that journey is a journey of discovery but also of failure and that's something that is you know we we fear failure uh but artists love failure like we're constantly looking for mistakes because that's innovation. And often the thing that goes wrong is the thing that ends up producing the most interesting artwork. Yeah. And so, so I sort of like, it's taking the idea of mistake and failure and actually re, uh, rebranding it as a discovery or as an opportunity. And that's something I'm very sort of keen of. And so one of the things I often do with young people is when I go into the classroom and I talk to them about how a cheeseburger was invented. And uh, this is a story that I was told years ago. I don't know if it's actually correct. It could be nonsense, but it, it works, you know. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Which is the idea that, you know, 150 years ago, however when it, how many years it was, like burgers were just burgers. You had the, the, the bun and you had the beef patty or whatever. And then in America, you know, meat's expensive, isn't it? And food's expensive, was very, well, it is now, but it was even more expensive, you know, 150 years ago. And the chef, were, you know, forgot what they were doing and burnt the burger. And so one side of the burger had been sat in the pan for too long and was burnt. And it was too expensive to throw it away. So he just, he or she, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but basically just put a bit of cheese on top to hide the burnt burger, right? Yeah. And then sent it out to the client, uh, to the, you know, to the, the customer and was hoping that like that cheese will mean that they don't complain. And then obviously the customer loved 
that loved it and everyone in the restaurant wanted the same and the cheeseburger was invented right mm. and I, I love that story because it, it's that idea of like I've got a problem I've made a mistake or this has happened how can I make it better how can I turn it into something even better and then you have innovation and so that weight of kind of uh, the idea of the genius artists is problematic because it you only ever see the end result you don't necessarily see how they got there this is a bit like uh, the impressionists you know, and we talk about like how they were these geniuses because for the first time ever, the Impressionists took paint outside and they painted live outside in real time. Because before that, artists would sketch outside and then spend months and months in the studio finishing their final masterpiece. And, you know, Monet would go out and paint in 10 minutes an amazing sunset. But the truth is that the, there's a correlation between the Impressionists uh, becoming you know, the art art movement of the time, but also the invention of tube paints. So for the first time ever, you could take paints outside because you could get tube paints. They hadn't been invented before. Before that, you had to make paints indoors. And so, yes, the Impressionists were amazing because they went outside, but it was because they harnessed what was around them that enabled them to do that because they went, oh, it's this new technology. Let's grab it and play with it and see what mm. happens. And then you end up with the amazing kind of paintings that you would go to Paris for or, or to, mm. to the National Gallery for. They played and they experimented with a material, yeah. which is what all art is. It's playing with materials, you know. And, it, and actually, it's that information that children would benefit from knowing in a, in a, when they're being taught art. And this is about experimenting. I mean, would you even use the word mistake or would you say... I do use the word mistake because it's in their vocabulary. Yeah. But I try to sort of change that so so one of the things I always talk to young people about and teachers about is this phrase I like to use which is simplicity equals sophistication mm -hmm. because if you over plan an art activity or if you have lots of things piled on at the beginning we all know that when you've got lots of things over time they become complicated and confused whereas if you start off really simple and then over the time add a little bit extra and a little bit extra then you end yeah. up with complexity and sophistication yeah. and so it's the same with everything we we build up small skills and skills give options you know and so one of the things i i like to do uh, is a video that will be coming up soon on my youtube channel which is about how to stop drawing stick figures which look frozen and don't have lots of movement in them and aren't very dynamic and how to use simple shapes to create more dynamic um, drawings of humans that look like they're moving and have more kind of uh, rhythm to them. Mm. Now that's not to stop stick figures. I love stick figures, they're charming and it's a great part of learning about how to draw. I, I never want to remove that, you know, stick figure drawings of, you know, of parents or siblings or friends stuck on the fridge are amazing. And it's, it's a great access point in for young people. But there comes a point when you want to give them more options. Mm. And so you want them to choose, well, am I going to draw a stick figure in this instance? Or am I going to draw something a bit more complex to describe something, to kind of communicate something? And so actually what's great about having lots of small skills and have, having taught skills is that you, uh, you, it gives options for the child or for the teacher to make the artwork that they actually want to make rather than just copying. You know, we want people to innovate, but if we know that certain things work, then we give it to them because then they can innovate from that point onwards. And I think that's kind of key to how I want art activities or inspire teachers to think of art is that we should think of it as being 
something that enriches all walks of life and enriches all other subjects. So, you know, so when I'm in front of a class of 30 pupils, I don't want 30 artists in 20 years time to come out of that classroom, right? Mm. Because if I, if I break my leg, I want a doctor to fix it, not an artist. And if I'm going on holiday, I want a pilot fly my plane, not an artist, right? But to get to being a doctor or to get to being a pilot or whatever you decide to do in life, especially with jobs that haven't been invented yet, having a creative mind and having interest and having uh, a sense of experimentation and play is going to support you in whatever you decide to do. And, and, it, and, and that's because art is about problem solving, it's about thinking uh, differently, it's about assessing what you've done, not what you're going to do, so it's reflective. Mm. And so, so, you know, I guarantee you that if you look at the sort of the, the fields across all industries, that the people who are at the most, at the top in, in, innovation wise or experts in their field, they have a creative mind, that they're interested in things, that they uh, are interested in things outside of their field of expertise. Um, because interested people are people who are passionate and people who are passionate end up doing great things. So I think that, um, I think that's where art is so kind of worthwhile, even if you've got a pupil who, quote unquote, struggles with drawing or might not be the best in the class. It doesn't matter whether they're good or bad. It's whether or not they're enjoying investigating or enjoying a process. That's what really matters. And I suppose that's one of the things that um, I do when I'm working with young people is I just remove the word good or bad. I just don't have it in my art lessons. And that wasn't the same when I, you know, that's come through years of experience. But, you know, I get this question all the time. Is, is mine good or is mine okay or is mine bad? And I just, my answer is, does it work? And if they say yes, I say, okay, what works well about it? What can you do then? What, what yeah. how can you get more of that? And if they say, no, it doesn't work. And I say, okay, what can you do to make it work? You know, and so because essentially drawing or art is a communication. Does it communicate something? Does it tell the audience something? So if you're trying to draw a picture of a bus and when people look at it and they don't see a bus, well then what can you do to emphasize the bus? Is it you're gonna to have to play around the shapes? Are you gonna to have to add elements to it to make it more bus-like? You know, is, is, is that kind of like, does it work or doesn't it work? Not whether it's good or whether it's bad. And, I, and so, I mean, I tell this story about how I, I was on holiday and uh, me and my best friend, we got mugged and held up at knife point and we lost everything. Uh, we were in a sort of remote kind of uh, archaeological area. Uh, and it was a country where I don't speak uh, their language and they didn't speak English. And, um, and so we were really freaked out, really panicked because we'd lost everything, held up at knife point, scary situation. And then we managed to flag down a police car and it was a very hot, dusty country. And uh, the police car pulled over and they didn't speak any English. And so, and I didn't have anything on me. Everything I had was token. So I basically drew out the entire incident on the bonnet of the car using dust and my finger. So I managed to do in a drawing, and I tell this to people all the time because it's true. And it, you know, I drew, you know, what was taken, what they looked like, where it happened, how we were feeling, you know, uh, where we were from, um, you know, I drew all this information out on a dusty bonnet of a, of a beat up uh, police car 
and it helped it worked mm-hmm. now I wasn't thinking at that point oh my representation of myself isn't perhaps great there and I haven't done a really accurate drawing of what my iPod looked like when it was stolen or that's not exactly what the uh, Union Jack flag looks like when I'm trying to explain my nationality you know I was thinking does it work or doesn't it work and I thought I sort of think that's the same for all artwork does it communicate something and does it do it in an interesting way um, so I think the worry of making good or bad things is one of the biggest barriers. And that's obviously linked to uh, confidence. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually uh, about your hopes for the future of children's creativity. You touched on it, the fact that we don't know what jobs are going to exist in the future and to yeah. equip children to help them uh, overcome those barriers of worrying about whether they're doing something completely right or to open up their their minds so that they're more likely to be curious, inquisitive, it's a creative approach to problem solving, that kind of thing. Is that what you're hoping really, if, if schools do include creative subjects like art regularly enough in the curriculum and have a different shift in the, in the way we approach the teaching of art? Mm. Are you hopeful that children will then grow through the school system? Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, like you, you, you said a great word there, curiosity. And I think that is key. And one of the things that young people are is curious. And I think that's where the mythology of you hear this a lot where people talk about how all children are artistic and that they've got an amazing imagination. And and they're, uh, you know, and as they get older, we take away that imagination. And, you know, we've heard those kind of phrases. But then how many of us have said to the pupils in our classes, make something really exciting and innovative. And then you end up with 30 of the same drawings that, yeah. aren't that, that are often filled with cliches or drawings that, you know, rainbow stars and, you know, footballers and things like that. Right. And that's because children are uh, imaginative and children are curious, but they also need to have structures and support to channel that and to kind of focus down. And so I think that is something that art's really good for is kind of getting people to think about things um, in a way that is different perhaps to other subjects, but that then supports other subjects. Children are amazingly imaginative, but you've got to feed that imagination uh, because imagination is directly linked to experience. And so, so you, so art is where you can give experience and you can feed the imagination and feed that curiosity. Yeah. Um, And that's why I think it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, your outcomes are perfect or that's why it doesn't matter whether you are as a teacher, uh, particularly skilled in art. Your job as a teacher in an art lesson isn't just to impart knowledge and teachers know this because you're experts in your field, you know exactly how to teach, but like it's almost to curate and, and kind of create an atmosphere. Yeah investigation and curiosity and experimentation but you almost have to create that environment in which they can experiment and and quote fail um i mean that's where things like sketchbooks are really important or things like non-outcome based activities playtime is really important Mm. so i started off when i worked at school in east london i i was primarily based in the early years uh, and as as time went on i ended up kind of doing the art for the entire school it was a huge school um Four form entry at some points and kind of um yeah and because I was there for 12 and a half years and I was pretty much allowed to do whatever I wanted to do in terms of 
uh, I could just experiment with art lessons and try out different processes. So I learned loads as well, and I developed as an artist. And that's where I kind of build my experience of what works, what doesn't work. But one thing I can tell you is that like having done a degree in sculpture at Bretton Hall, which was the York Sculpture Park, which is about 10 minutes away from where I am right now, um, is that uh, one of the things I, I realised when I started to work in early years is that nursery and reception classes are operating almost exactly like first and second year degrees in fine arts mm -hmm. where it is just like try something experiment with it put two and two together see what happens what happens if you cut that in half what happens if you throw that what happens if you put that next to that you know just experimenting all the time without necessarily going i'm doing this because but doing going i'm doing this and this what is what happened or this yes. happened if i put this color next to this color isn't that amazing you know, and, and so early years are great because it's all about play and experimentation and then reflection. Um, and that honestly is more like the degree level experience than it is any other. Uh, and I mean, that's why I really love working in early years units and working with your know, sort of sort of early years teachers is because they understand that play is so important and that it might, and, and the play and the experimentation in early years isn't segregated into art, science, maths, literacy, you know, so like uh, uh, playing with water can be as much an art activity as um, paint and paintbrushes, you know, yeah. and, and so it's, it's all mixed in together. And, you know, you go to any art studio and you knock on the door and you ask the artist in that room what they're interested in. They will talk to you about science. They'll talk about they'll talk to you about math. They'll talk about being on holiday and spotting something. They very rarely talk to you specifically about the art element. They talk to you about all the things that they've been inspired by. Um, and so I think that we need to sort of reassess what the way of being an artist is, but also why art is important in the curriculum. We need yeah. to sort of think a bit. I think art needs to be a standalone subject in an, in order to give it value. And we have and to, to teach the skills and, and to teach the skills. Yes. And I think that's where Cornerstones is doing really good, especially with the videos I made with the color theory is that like, because color theory and using color is about experimentation and trying different things out. And the problem is, is that color theory is quite rigid in that it's about kind of very specific science about color, about opposites and hues and tones and tints. But once you know those skills, You've got the ammunition to then break the rules and experiment and try new things. And so that's why skills leading with skills is really good because it gives the tools that young people then use to experiment and innovate yeah. and be curious. And, and um, we'd also say that the knowledge, that, that knowledge about the, the vocab, the right terms to use, the terminology and empowering children with those. Because skills are you know, procedural knowledge, whatever you mm you like to call them but yeah that that combination of the component skills and knowledge in art then gives them a kind of a, a whole library of information that then then they can um apply when they're absolutely absolutely that's a really great way to describe it as a library of information and it's it's if you want to paint the sunset you need to know how colors work right yeah um now that's not to say that every sunset will be painted in the same way but as long as you know how to mix colors, you'll make the sunset that you want to make, if exactly. that makes sense. Yes, so it you, does, yeah. So it, it, it's kind of like, that's why I think skills are so important to impart, mm -hmm. but also skills 
with practical applications. So that's going back to what I was saying earlier about the link between art and maths. You know, there are things that you need to do in like SATS papers where you need to use, for instance, like mirrors to look at symmetry, or you need to use rulers to create kind of um, straight lines to create shapes or graphs or X, Y axes. You know, there's all these applications of where you might need to use a ruler, but the place where you can experiment and become great at using a ruler is in art activities, because mm. in art activities, you can do everything. Mm. And so it's kind of like art is the place where you can play and build skills that support all subjects. Um, and it's things like one of my videos on my YouTube channel, which is quite popular, and it's an old technique that's been done for years, is how you can create uh, tin foil statues of people very quickly in about 30 seconds. Um, now that's a great skill in itself is, okay, we can make tin foil figures, great. But my video is talking about how you can then use that to explore body language so that you can write about body language better in your literacy lessons. So this is where we think all children are imaginative, but they need support. Because you could say to a young person, right, I want you to write a poem or I want you to write a descriptive piece about someone who's feeling sad. Mm. And that is, that's really abstract. That's really hard to do, right? Because, because it's that, there's so many options there, right? But if you create a tinfoil figure and you say, play with that figure, make that figure look sad, right? They might make their head go in the hands or their knees go up to their chest or the head bent forward, right? Because young people are very skilled at playing with toys and are playing with figurines and kind of, you know, and then what you can say is, right, describe that. So then in their writing about the sad person, they can talk about this person has their head in their knees with their hands on top of their head. Yeah. Their neck is bent down low. They're scrunched up in a ball. They, they, they've got then all the ability to practically mm -hmm. write about uh, abstract emotion, which is sadness. And so that's an example of where an art lesson can directly be used to support literacy, to get more, in more innovative writing or more innovative description. And so that's, that's why I think skills are so good is because uh, they can be applied. And that, that's the thing about um, uh, practical applications we use art all the time without even realizing it you know uh, like when you're driving down the road and you're trying to find the car park for the vaccination center that's in the middle of nowhere you're using design you're looking at uh, illustration all the street signs all the all, all the graphics the leaflet that you've looked at to tell you where your appointment is you know it's all wrapped into one in order for you to get to somewhere important and I think that's the same with everything you know um it, it, it's about communication and about sharing experience and and I, and I think in terms of why art is important there, there there is an element one of my heroes is Brian Eno the musician and artist and I heard him talk about how someone asked him what is art and he talked about art is everything we don't need and that sounds quite derogatory about art mm. But actually what he went on to explain, and I love this as an analogy, is like, we need to eat, right? And if we don't eat, we'll die. So that there's a need to eat. But we, do, we don't need macaroni cheese, and we don't need Chinese dumplings, and we don't need sausage rolls. We don't need the latest and greatest cordon bleu food. But we do because we're humans, and we innovate and we enrich, right? So we, we, you know, we could get away with eating the same five grains. 
right? Mm. But life would be pretty boring, right? We need clothes because if we don't have clothes, we freeze to death in the winter. But you don't need Dolce and Cabana and you don't need Versace or Gap. Or, but actually we innovate and the history of humanity is that every culture has a different type of clothing. You know, we have music as a way of expressing emotions or as communicating ideas. We have, and, and so, so art and creativity is how we enrich life. Yeah. and how we support learning. And it's no coincidence that they believe that drawing existed before the ability to speak. So that they now think based on cave drawings and cave paintings that before we had the physical ability to form words, we were drawing and we were communicating saying, don't go near that animal, that animal's gonna eat you, you know? And so it's, I think that's the thing, it's about enrichment and about supporting all aspects of life. That's a very wordy way of saying that art's important, but you know what I mean? It's, no, it's, I think it's, a, it's absolutely fantastic way to think of it. We don't need it, but that enrichment and that's what it is to be human. Yeah. So that's the, the argument we do need it because it's what makes us human and it's yeah. what makes life enjoyable and it's what helps innovation. But if you yeah. break it down, I think this is the thing some people think of like, oh, it's not necessary, it's just decoration. And it's like, no, it's not. It's the thing that supports innovation. It's the thing that supports confidence and well-being. And there's, a, there's loads of other reasons why art's important. So for instance, like when people are stressed or in a high stress state, right? they know that doing a creative activity brings your brain levels back to the ability to be able to engage with mm. information. So if you're frightened or stressed or you're in extreme worry, right? Or you're hyper, for instance, like maybe from doing too much exercise and you, you know, your heart's pumping, the ability to engage and absorb information is much, much more difficult. Uh, and they know that art kind of like clicks things back into place and that doing something creative, simple, like doing a doodle or playing with a bit of clay or something like that. And so that's going back to where we can use it. Like your art lesson can be a 15 minute activity that exists after playtime to get the pupils ready for their next lesson. You know, it can be used to bring children back into a place of learning. You know, and I don't, I should point out that I don't think all art lessons should be 15 minutes. I, I implore you to do more than that. Yeah. But taking the pressure off schools, yeah. you don't have to think of art as these precious blocks. We can think of art as supporting all different areas mm. um, and happening all the time, you know. Stick yeah. Everywhere, you know. I, I couldn't agree more, but I think, I think that just sums up so well why art is an inherent part of being human and and why it's important for all of us to experience it and as educators what to consider when you when you're going to teach art and we're so excited to have you uh, collaborate with us john for your video if you're listening to the podcast and you do use um, our curriculum on maestro you'll find john's video you've done a whole series haven't you for color yeah it's color skills and knowledge-based project so learn about like things like primary colours, how yeah. to make colours, what tint and shade means, about what hue is. Basically, it's like, a, you know, in three videos, it's everything you need to know about colours to be skilled up to then explore and become experts in that. Yeah, yeah. And they're fantastic. So they're on Maestro. And for people who aren't using our curriculum, there are many people who will um, be interested in just visiting your YouTube site. So it is art john isn't it and absolutely and it, and, and it's so so you can type in art john i say this i hope it works but you can type in art john onto google and it should bring up my website my yeah i've done it, like it that. so it does, and you'll yeah. know and i'm usually wearing a blue flat cap 
So you'll notice me, I, I, I'm, I'm usually wearing a blue hat. Um, but yeah, that I think so. That's that's my goal with the YouTube channel is to enrich parents and teachers so that art is less scary. So it's it's more about making and giving things a go. That it's about enriching the teaching profession and enriching parents. And just kind of, I mean, I don't know how my channel is going to evolve because for me, my art channel is an art experiment as well. So it will change and it will evolve just like all art should. And so I'm experimenting with different ways of making videos. So within that, you should find something that works for you. Uh, mm. And so, you know, even if it's just one video that, or one part of the video that you use for the rest of your teaching career that just makes life a bit easier, then I'm very happy, you know? Um, and, and I think just to go back to what we said before, you know, one of the things I think has been very apparent uh, during the lockdown and during, you know, the difficulty of the last sort of 18 months or since uh, you know, COVID-19 is how much more art has become essential and how much it's been used. And, uh, and I think that that's something that's hopefully will continue in the sense that we realise that art matters when things are difficult and that it's a great way of learning and especially remote learning and stuff. And hopefully that will continue to grow in schools now that we've realised that. Yeah, and, um, and it's no wonder, you know, like that, um, that when things become difficult, um, we fall back on art because art is about problem solving and about calming yourself. It's about well-being. It's about being in your head so you can go anywhere with art. You can, your imagination, you don't have to be stuck indoors. You can be anywhere. And so I think I've got high hopes that art will be used more and more. And that's why I'm glad like organisations and places like Cornerstones are, are, are so um passionate about having art in the curriculum because I know it works and the schools that use it know it works yeah and we want other schools to do the same because it, it is We've, yeah it's of high value well thank you so much John it's been a really fascinating conversation with you thank I you for having me on so much just from talking to you I've reflected back on my own practice um you know and I, I share your hopes as well for the future I think what we've learned during this pandemic is like you say, the importance of creativity, but also looking at the uncertainty of the future and how creative subjects like art aren't just about physical skills, they're about uh, your mindset as well and your approach to uh, all sorts of things, perfectionism, you know, trial and error, experimentation. It is a lot broader. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And thank I, you for having me. I do, I really recommend uh, listeners that you check out John's channel um and also on twitter when we post the information about the podcast it'd be lovely if you have some questions or comments about how art has gone you know in your classroom any things that you'd like to share about how you've um taught art or things that you've seen things that have worked things that have not worked so well it'd be great to hear from you so please do keep in contact with us and i hope you enjoy the rest of your very hot day thank you very much thanks for having me uh, i am an, i'm known for waffling on so if i spoke too long on this i do apologize but thank you for everyone listening and uh bear no, with it was great I, I do like i do love a chat <laughs> no it's lovely it was packed you know it's a big topic this and it's yeah important um, and I hope people listening, you've picked up a lot of actionable tips that you can take yeah. into your classroom or do at home now. So thank you again, John, for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you to the listeners as well for joining us. Until next time, it's goodbye from us here. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was brought to you by Cornerstones Education. We help primary schools in England, Wales and beyond with the materials and tools to design, deliver and manage their curriculum. Follow us on social media at Cornerstones Edu or visit us on our website, cornerstones.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.